0: Welcome to podcast number 33. My name is Jay McNamara, and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naiman Jelka Anderson. Hello. So a big thank you to our last guest, Charlie Parvin, who talked about the transition from being a therapeutic radiography student to Band 5 newly qualified member of staff. So if you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So it's at this stage after 33 podcasts, we just want to highlight some of our previous guest podcasts, really to kind of tempt you to have a look through the back catalogue if you're new to Radchat. So we've had Linda Thomas, CEO from Macmillan, June Davis, AHP lead. We've got Steve Bland from You, Me and the Big C, Shereen Pavaday, Rachel Moses, Dr Lizzo Reardon, Janice St. John Matthews, to name just but a few so please do go and have a look at our back catalogue so we are hugely pleased to introduce our guest for this evening beverly harden who's going to be discussing her role with health education england along with the projects and research she oversees so hello beverly hello joe
1: hello <laughs> to be here. thank you for the invite
0: Oh, an absolute pleasure. So, Beverly, one of our first questions that we ask all our guests is, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role, maybe a bit about your own career story?
1: Thank you very much. So my name is Beverly Harden. I uh, currently work as the Allied Health Professions Lead within Health Education England. And Health Education, is an orga- health education England even is an organisation that is established to look after the supply of the professions into healthcare, And the onwards development and um, evolution of the professions to make sure we make the most of what is the most incredible group of professions but i think we'd all agree that we're really not very well understood as a group of professions so a big part of our role is making sure people understand what we are and what we can do not just what, what we do at the moment but what we could do into the future so my role is to look after our well, 14 professions in name, but actually there's sort of 15, 16 of us when you start to count us. And I wouldn't dream of joining an erudite group of therapeutic radiographers without making sure that we are very clear that we see your beauty and your individuality as a profession um, in your own right. So again, delighted to be here today. So my role is AHPs, but I have another part of my role where I look after all of the um, national leadership for advanced and consultant practice for all of the professions. So basically everybody in healthcare who is not a doctor and not a dentist, the rest of us are able to advance our practice and take on advanced and consultant roles. And my job is to make sure there is um, equality opportunity for people to step into those spaces across the professions, uh, across our seven protected characteristics, but also to make sure that we have got really intelligent um, understanding, again, of what we can do and what more we can do, and how we then start to craft those career pathways. Doing a lot of work at the moment around clinical careers, but also where that interfaces with education careers, where that inter- interfaces with leadership careers, and of course, importantly, our research careers too. And you'll have the wonderful Hazel coming to speak next week about our research um, launch of the strategy for AHPs for research. So it's a, it's a really, really varied role. And for me, the AHP piece and the advanced practice piece beautifully overlap in my ability to make sure that AHPs stay absolutely, you know, clearly involved in all of the advanced and consultant practice work, as well as all other aspects. And the most important people in my world are our students. Um, And so a huge part of my time is spent making sure that we get our pre-registration education and training great. We have good quality placements. We have students who come out 21st century ready able to drive the care, which Les Fates says they're going to be looking after me when I'm old. So I have a really selfish vested interest here in making sure that our students are fabulous and hopefully we can talk more about students in the long run. So that's my sort of my day job and I have lots of other bits that fit into that. I also am a visiting professor at Winchester University, which is a huge privilege for me being able to again stay anchored with the allied health profession students and our next generation of delivery. And my proudest part of my role as i'm a of my life is i'm a trustee of carers uk i care for my mother i am a passionate supporter of the people that wrap around our patients to enable them to be the best them at home whilst they are undergoing whatever challenges life has thrown at them so a really important part and just a very quick synopsis for me i trained as a physiotherapist about a million years ago Um, popped out into physiotherapy land and hit that sort of flaky bridge that we talk about in people staying in the profession and I nearly left physiotherapy in the first year of qualifying because I couldn't find enough to excite my brain and I wanted to really make that difference and so found a way of keeping myself involved and engaged and you know have managed to contribute um, into the profession over the years but I think for me it brings home the absolute vital role that we all have in looking after and loving our students, our new graduates and our professionals throughout their careers, as much at the end of our careers at the beginning, so that we can offer the best care we possibly can for our patients. And I think the key for me with um, your profession is that the first person who really, I had a fantastic therapeutic radiography colleague when I was in my first therapy manager role. I didn't have any responsibility for therapeutic radiography, but she found me, a lady called Holly, incredible creature and taught me about a profession I knew nothing about. Um, Really quite an incredible um, um, enlightenment for me. And then in the early days of being in Health Education England, Neil Roberts at Leeds did some video work for us around the consultant workforce, and I was blown away. What an inspiration that man is. So for me, it's a a learning journey with you. The college have taught me and cared for me and and brought me up in the world of the both sides of the radiography professions. But again, taught me Spencer and Charlotte around really how we support you and people like Joe, uh, people like Hazel Pennington, Mandy Tucky, Nikki, have done incredible work with us over the last few years, to a point where I think we probably got a better handle, Joe, I think, I don't even feel that on the profession than we've ever had before, and really starting to work as one to advance um, the opportunities for you to offer your full set of capabilities to our precious, precious patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think anyone who's worked with Health Education England know that it's such a supportive nature. So, you know, going in and engaging with lots of different teams across lots of different regions. I know when Hazel and I were doing our national fellowship, it was that networking and collaboration and contributing to lots of projects that were underway but it was almost going in, reviewing things and going from a therapeutic radiography perspective, have you considered this? And I think that's where AHPs really do come into their own in terms of that collaboration that we're able to offer and, and suggest things from different perspectives. Um, and I know that's something that Health Education England pride themselves on is that kind of collaboration. Um, what kind of projects are you are you most involved in at the moment? Beverly is there is there anything that's kind of stand out that people should kind of watch this space for
1: gosh where to start we have got so much work going on I cannot even begin to, to think so let's think so the key things can I make a little list and then we come back to them Joe will you remind me yeah absolutely I you keep count for me so um, the first one really is about the advancing practice agenda for probably in no particular order perhaps you can pick the order the advancing practice agenda Um, Our student placement work and the use of simulation and really thinking through um, the different opportunities there, careers I'd like to touch on, Um, and then perhaps we'll think again because I wouldn't want to nick all of your questions, but we'll start with those three key ones. Which one do you want first?
0: Shall shall we get with careers first? Because I think there's lots of people... I'm just thinking, just from a selfish perspective, we have a a nice careers and employability event coming up soon. And these final year AHP students are all starting to either get jobs or thinking about preparing. And one of my ethos is, is that actually, you know, You don't have to make decisions straight away. You do have time. Um, And I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure on people to quickly get a job without necessarily thinking about what their real interests are or how they could use their degree in different ways. So selfishly, if we can touch on that one first, that would be amazing. (laughs) Nope, super duper. So
1: I think if my colleague, my wonderful colleague from the Southwest, Carrie Biddle, if she was here, she'd talk about squiggly careers, and I think when you pop out of university, you have this romantic notion that you're gonna take this beautifully linear trajectory through life. And, and life has a way of throwing um, curveballs at you, but also offering you amazing opportunity. Babies appear, husbands appear, all sorts of things appear in your life that don't quite fit with that beautiful trajectory of, of career. So I think your point is, is absolutely bang on, Joe. It's about hitting your career with a calmness, which is take a moment to understand what gets you out of bed in the, mo- in the mornings. What, what is it that you really care about? And for a lot of people, a lot of students I've mentored, they say, well, I don't really know. Then I say, brilliant, go somewhere where you can spend time luxuriating in your profession, work out the different facets of your profession. You might stay at Band 5 for a while and move trust, heaven forbid, at Band 5 level to have another little look around, see what you fancy. And there are some people who love being generalist in what they do. And how wonderful is that? As a patient, I need people who work across every single environment of the radiotherapy um, service so we need everybody and we need to prize generalism as much as we prize specialism and the risk is we become so specialist you know as a physiotherapist I my left little toe on a Thursday brilliant rubbish for my patient unless they have a problem with their left little toe on a Thursday then I'm just the person they need. So the challenge for us is how do we really in our careers value generalist skills and when I say that I mean the ability to turn your hand to most things and specialist skills and pride ourselves on ideally functioning well in both environments. But because it's so much more comfortable and so much more self-actualizing to be the specialist we think, we run the risk of of losing generalism. But if we are genuinely here to serve our population, our people, we need that generalist skill. And think about the skills you've got around prehab and all the things that you have in your head as well as your technical brilliance at what you can do. And we need to be able to really um, merge those two things together. The second thing for me is to, um, for looking at your first job is think about where you want to live I know that sounds really ridiculous but you only spend eight hours of your day at work the rest of it is your social network what you like to do so for me we need to be really quite pragmatic because our well-being and our resilience in everything is the most important thing and that is born out of being loved, nurtured and settled in your time outside of work and your time in work so I think for, again for me for the students that I mentor it's very much a case of decide where you want to be And then decide what makes your heart sing at work and then work to try and get those two things married together and then go into your career not in a rush but with really really curious mindset around how you grow as a clinician i thought i came into my profession to become a a sassy private practitioner because i wanted to run my own practice and it was going to be the most amazing thing on the planet when I did my junior, my, my rotational band five roles, I realized I loved the patients that everybody else had given up on. You give me the sickest intensive care patient who's never gonna wean off their ventilator and I'll give them a thousand percent of my effort to get them walking out of that intensive care unit to go home. I'll do everything I can. I didn't know that's how I felt about patients because I'd never been exposed to it. So stay open-minded, stay curious, um, and do not feel that your band six promotion, your band seven promotion defines you as a clinician. It defines the money you take home. I agree with that doesn't define your clinical pathway and back to squiggly lines is it's really worth thinking about the other stuff, not just the clinical stuff, because you might want a career is as a lecturer, you might want to do some research, you might want to do something completely different, investigate, take opportunities, be brave, but also don't be afraid to jump earlier than you think you might. So We've just done sort of, Viv Gibbs down at UW did some great work for us around research careers and why we have so few allied health professionals in senior academic roles in universities. And it's because we pride ourselves at becoming the most incredible clinician. We then get a bit bored and think, oh, I know what, I'll go and train the next generation, brilliant. But then I move across at a very senior clinical grade, pay is an issue often, but then I haven't got the PhD or the Masters in Education or the PG Cert I need. I then have to do that. And then I've timed out really in my career to be able to take on the vice the chancellor role or whatever it might be because I haven't got the time to make the journey. So think, find out what what tickles you, go find out how you make that happen, and then think about it. And my last point, sorry John, very, very
0: verbose this evening, but my last point is <laughs> I always knew this would happen, Beverly. It's absolutely fine.
1: It's <laughs> all your fault you asked me. Um, is to go and find out what other opportunities you can find to learn the skills of life. So I did a lot of work for the Charter Society of Physiotherapy. I got involved. I'm not a union person, but I was a steward for a while. I was a health and safety rep for a while. But I got involved in other stuff because I learned the most incredible skills of negotiating, um, managing conflict, incredible skills I would never have learned anywhere else. Um, and I got to see a national organization at work. Which again opened my eyes to other opportunities that were there. So it's go and find the more quirky opportunities to grow as a human, not just as a brilliant clinician specialist in the left little toe on a Thursday.
2: Wow, that's quite a lot to take in, I'm going to say. That was brilliant advice. One last
1: plug, Naaman, would you that's... give me one last plug? Of course. Thank you. It's on our website, on HE's website, there is the most incredible piece of work done by a lady called Laura Roberts, who was my clinical fellow. Which was um, called the Universe of Opportunities. There's a beautiful, um, sorry, the, the, I think the reception's a bit poor. I'm sorry. There was a beautiful um, uh, animation, and then 42 talking heads of different AHP professions who've gone into public health fellowships, research, leadership, whatever it is. If you're if you're thinking, I don't know where to go next, I did. I really commissioned it to be for me when I was a little 21 year old physio thinking I don't know what to do I I don't think I've made the right choice if I'd seen that and seen the routes I could have gone it would have helped me more than anything in the world to stay absolutely engaged and in the zone so go find it HE website universe opportunities on the AHP pages and luxuriate in 42 talking heads of incredible people who are just like you and me who have just made a different choice thank you
0: We will definitely share that on the podcast website as well.
2: Interesting what you said about uh, choosing where you want to live. So radiotherapy, unfortunately, we are a bit limited where we can go. um, And you're not necessarily going to want to move, let's say, completely up into Scotland or end into Cornwall for some, some people, especially from different cultural backgrounds that I've seen. But as you said, sometimes if there's a job, you have to take it. But it's that leap of faith for maybe people who've sort of lived at home through uni as well. That's kind of, it's quite difficult to plug that in a way, but I would always recommend trying to move as much as possible, really. Um, I'm sure, I know, Joe. that's something that you've kind of mentioned to your students quite a lot. Get out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a there's definitely a benefit from what I've seen from graduates being able to explore different trusts, different opportunities that exist you know you will have some radiotherapy departments that are advancing that are pushing for different technology different software have specialist advanced role practice whereas you'll go to another one that's maybe quite rural and very different but has different areas of specialism and expertise so i think having that knowledge and, and understanding of different services gives you a more rounded appreciation for what's happening out within the radiotherapy community for you to then decide actually what's best suited to me and I was actually one of those early academics and I never thought I would go into academia I was always loved my patients but I made that leap because I thought I would have more of an impact or the ability to have an impact on a greater number of patients by being able to educate the future workforce and I've never looked back but I don't think that I would have ever found that if I'd have set my mind on oh what shall I do academia would never have featured because I'm not very academic um it's actually more around the love that I have for my profession and what we do for our patients um and I've dabbled in research but I've actually started to (laughs) really like research and I never said I never thought I'd say that but that just goes to show doesn't it when you start to kind of dip your toe in things and it's that supportive network and it's something that um, professor Heidi Prost always says if you've got a research support network you are more likely to fulfill a full project or go the long run for some of these more longitudinal studies so absolutely from that perspective
2: you've also found a a career where you can talk a lot right
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah that's very true though Damon
2: (laughs) But it's good. I think, as you said, it's about, di- sorry, Beverly, as you said, it's it's about diversifying. So some people, they're happy to be band fives, band sixes, band sevens, whatever role, whatever level forever. But you'll see some of the band fives, maybe in some departments, they've been there for 20 years, but they've done, as you said, everything. They've done the audit. There's an audit, sorry. They've been into review in, in our field in therapeutic radiography. They've um, done secondment here, secondment there. Everyone knows who they are. But That's still okay. I mean, as you said, I don't see anything wrong with it.
1: Imagine having that person in your department. How lucky to have a fantastic band five who's seen a bit of everything. Imagine that person's role in supporting your new starters, supporting your students. You know, I think the magic in our professions is that there's room for everybody to interpret their career however they need to and choose to. And for all of us, life goes through so many different changes that you'd sometimes there's been times in my career where I've just needed to be held safe while I survived life and my career didn't do anything i just did my job and i was held safe and then there's other times when i could fly and i think the magic for us is that we have the privilege of being able to do both
2: clearly and what you talked about sort of moving into advanced practice as well um that was the next point to go into but i think i'm quite fortunate to be almost like a trainee and trying to go through the accreditation process with society college of radiographers but it's a whole new world so i'm working in a nurse-led team where it's predominantly always been nurse-led in sort of treatment review. Um, So the skills I've managed to pick up, I never would have considered. So even just taking patients' bloods or, this week has been quite clinically challenging. Um, Things that don't normally happen, such as cardiac arrest and radiotherapy, it's something that happened. But having the skills of intermediate life support, cannulation, all these extra skills I've done a physical assessment module, almost in a way, I think where I've read in Health Education England, being an advanced practitioner you do sit almost as a middle grade doctor so that's the comparison sometimes i think this week was where i felt wow like i can actually do this so i didn't get pushed out of the way during this whole resuscitation process I was right in the middle they wanted to use our ct scanner that's not how it works <laughs> i had to explain that but apart from that it it was an amazing sort of experience to be part of that all the learning and then how you step up patients into different sort of therapies across the hospital how the physiotherapy team will come into it eventually to get them back onto their feet and then the occupational therapist It's such a unique experience that you don't really get or you think maybe I think Joe will agree as a therapeutic visual for you shouldn't be getting that experience cause you're tucked away in a horrible little bunker in the corner of the hospital that no one knows about. But yeah, it's, it's something for me, it was eye-opening, scary, but amazing that that is what advanced practice can be for someone like for someone like me in my role.
1: For you as an experienced clinician, the opportunity to then self-actualise with new skills and be able to offer your, your you, you're such a, we're such an autonomous professionals we're highly autonomous professionals, we've got so much we can offer, but we're often capped in what we can do. And the magic of advanced practice, you've just illustrated it brilliantly, is that you can then start, to, you've got so much more to give. I mean, goodness me, you're a young man at the you know, beginning, middle of your career, you've got so much more you can still offer. The challenge for us is how do we give you a career pathway that keeps you interested? Because you've got you'll always have more to do and more to evolve. And so the magic for me is my job is to keep people like you in the NHS in clinical practice for as long as I can because we're feeding your need to provide for your patients.
0: Done to the question, what are you doing for people like <laughs> like Naaman? who are thinking, right, okay, how can I become that consultant practitioner? What is it that HEE are doing at the moment? So um, the challenge for the HEE Advanced Practice piece is because
1: we're doing multi-professional work across every single specialty. And so it's, as you can imagine, it is um, a rather busy environment. Um, Beautifully, these oncology services, because of the challenge of the, the increasing diagnostic imaging, is clearly creating um, more people that are going to need intervention. Um, And so we cannot increase diagnostic radiography workforce without paying attention to, in this instance, the therapeutic radiography workforce. It's hugely important. Um, And also for us, we've then got the increased pressure on on oncologists and the magic of advanced practice across therapeutic radiography is that you then start to fit into a space where, and this is not medical substitution at all, this is about us offering our full scope of practice to our patients um, and, and actualising our professional capability. The issue is that we all live in Venn diagram overlap, and as the medics' Venn diagram circle moves out to do more exciting things in that direction, we move into a bit of the Venn diagram space that's been left behind to do more exciting things in our world. But we don't need to do it in the image of medicine, we need to do it in the image of our therapeutic radiography mindset would look to do that piece of work with nursing colleagues, perhaps, maybe not. So we've got a piece of work happening up in the North East. And Rick Klein, who's a colleague uh, uh, in London, um, has supported me in being me in that space, if that makes sense. And there's a piece of work ongoing, which is trying to start to articulate what does advanced clinical practice look like within the therapeutic radiography environment um, and within oncology, in a way that isn't restrictive, but sets a minimum basis. I mean, you are saying, um, Naomi, the fact that there's lots of stuff that you need to do. It isn't just technical stuff, but it's, it's diagnostic clinical reasoning. It's um, flexible and adaptable thinking to things that you are perhaps outside of your normal sphere of, of, of clinical influence. And then there's the new skills, the new opportunities you wanna bring in. But then also it's the, um, I don't quite know how to say this, it's the um, better utilization of bits of your skill set that nobody actually knows you have, When I sit with Spencer Goodman from the college and he tells me what a therapeutic radiographer can actually do compared to what they perhaps are allowed to do or have historically done, I'm blown away. Um, The challenge for us is making sure that the world can see it and that you, particularly where you haven't used those skills since you were a student, perhaps, we blow the dust off them so we create you back to being the confident, capable clinician you want to be. So Rick's helping drive that work with us. The college are, are clearly involved from a professional perspective for us. So the aim will be that we can start to pilot, and I think this year we're piloting eight spaces up in the North East, we've got other organisations who are clearly very active in advanced practice, and that's brilliant, so we've also got something called the supported portfolio route that someone like you, Neyman, would do in the future, which would be actually, we'll do it with the college hopefully in the future, but for um, professions who don't have a Royal College who are doing this, we have a route that will then say, you may not have done an advanced practice master's degree but you've got leadership experience and qualifications, you've got research, you've got all the the four pillars, bring that in your basket, and we'll assess it as a portfolio of achievement, um, as opposed to you having to go and then do a a gratuitous master's degree when you've got all the component parts. Um, And then for consultants, um, what we need to do in the long term is create an army of Niels, um, because that really is a next phase for us of being able to develop um, the workforce. Um, but what we're doing at the moment is we've published the consultant framework and the, um, we're doing work around impact at the moment. Um, we're going to have this year three pilots, no, I'm sorry, next financial year, so as of April, three pilots working. They won't start in therapeutic radiography, but we will have some work in cancer. So it may well, and we just don't quite know how we're going to land it yet. And of course, you can imagine there's the gravitational pull of diagnostic hubs. And we've also got for us the, the challenge then of actually, no, we've got nursing, we've got therapeutic radiography, we need to be doing things in the round so it's a watch this space moment really and perhaps what we might do at some point is perhaps bring some consultants back into this environment perhaps when that starts to take some shape have some further conversations maybe next year joe and then if you're you're game about that career aspiration opportunity for consultants
0: absolutely that would be amazing and i know we've we've got rick actually and. um mel clarkson coming on to talk about that as well Brilliant. so that'll be perfect that will Fantastic. link seamlessly to this podcast <laughs> almost like we've organized <laughs> absolutely so beverly if we go back then to your um initial points so obviously working at a higher education institute we recognize that we need to ensure that the future workforce is provided and um in doing so we might look to increase recruitment of allied health professions and in doing that we have to consider clinical placement capacity so that leads me on really nicely um to ask you about kind of the supportive work that health education england are doing to look at clinical placement expansion projects um and also the role of simulation so i know uh leah um Unwit Sly, who is currently working with myself at Sheffield Hallam University as part of a Health Education England project. Um, We are doing some amazing simulation um, that's being evaluated to look um, against the clinical um, placement and also the simulation. And for anyone who follows me on only social media will know that um, I actually think my friends were going to report me to um, HCPC because our simulation man is so realistic that they thought I had taken a photo with a patient. <laughs> I was like, I would never do that. But they had that conversation. So, yeah, um, oh, it just wow. goes to show simulation <laughs> can work. <laughs>
1: how great your colleagues had that conversation with you hey what a fantastic liberation of freedom to speak up wonderful joe brilliant so student placements right then so last i don't know in middle of COVID, um we were um the first so when was the first year of COVID? 2020 um, we had a fabulous student on placement with us. It was the first time we'd ever had a student. I realized that I couldn't be asking the world please to keep students on placement if I didn't have students myself. It sort of dawned on me one day. So I put out a plea um, and ended up with the most incredible student. And we've had huge numbers of students since. Um, so um, Char um, joined us on student placement and did the most incredible piece of work helping us understand student placements, not only through the lens of the pandemic, but through the lens of twenty first century pande- um, 21st century placements. Um, And we worked with um, a fantastic team at Clever together um, with some really beautiful people who helped us to um, source the wisdom of the crowd about what do we do now in order to really move on clinical placements. And what came through very, very clearly is there's a lot of um, housekeeping we need to do to improve. So one of the key things would be things like fair shares models. If we've got um, therapeutic radiography departments across the country, what is everybody's fair share of what needs, what placements we require and is there, therefore, then a cap on the students we can train because we do genuinely don't have the capacity or are there private um, providers, too, that we need to be using better into um, the mix? And are there other sorts of placements that we need to be thinking of in order to um, develop our students? Because we mustn't forget, we are creating our future leaders, our future researchers, our future educators and our future clinicians. Clearly, everything's underpinned by clinical brilliance. I get that. But actually, if we don't develop people across the other three pillars of practice, you bring up people like me when I popped out because actually I knew I could do so much more. I just couldn't see what it was. We've got to furnish people with the full set. So we have got and again, there's loads of resources that we can share um, as useful, Joe. Um, but we have got um, a lot of work happening around leadership placements. So my students come on part time placement with me to do leadership. But that means there's a part time placement then in a clinical setting for two students to go through rather than one student to go through. And I take multiple models of student supervision. When I was in clinical practice I always used to have four students because I wasn't um, environmentally landlocked like you might be in a clinic in a, in a but in the environment I worked in my patients got better care because suddenly there was five of me rather than one of me so the patients never got any rest at all. Can't imagine anything worse than being on that ward can you but it worked brilliantly and the peer support and the peer learning was great. Um, and so there are some really beautiful pieces of work done by people through the repair work. Mandy and Nikki have got a great report that again, we'll get ready to publish and share because there's just so much work happening within therapeutic radiography about expansion of placements, so leadership placements, and not always within therapeutic radiography. Therapeutic radiographers going to spend time with the chief AHP, going to spend time in Health Education England with some other strange AHP profession, but we're all doing leadership on behalf of our professions. Um, education placements, so we have some beautiful examples of people going into universities and working alongside, you know, the educators, learning to be educators. A lot of work happening around research, again, the same going into research teams. And again, it doesn't have to be a therapeutic radiography dominant research team. It just needs to ideally have research at its core. You do your good um you know, your your um bits of training that enable you to then start to get some idea of other stuff you could do in this world and it makes it less scary because you see people like you. Doing really great work. Um, and then there's simulation, Joe, as you as you said, and the magic of simulation is that we have got so much um, opportunity to offer students the time and place to practice safely, where it doesn't matter if I get it wrong. Yes, it's got to be lifelike, Joe. So if, if it isn't an experience that feels real, then you know, beyond the early days, it's not fair. And students sometimes feel cheated when they have poor quality sim later on in their student place, in their student learning. I understand that. But simulation does not need to be poor quality and for simulation, I'm meaning everything from, you know, injecting your orange as you learn to give an injection right the way through to having patient, I'm uh, sorry, um, actors coming in to do really lifelike simulation where actually it does matter if you get it wrong. Um, but in a safe and supportive way, if that makes sense, because you are with with real people having a real interaction um, and there's chance to rewind replay and think. So we've really got to, and I think what's interesting in the work that Mandy and Nikki did is it showed very clearly that for many people, sim's quite difficult. It's expensive to run. It's labour intensive. It takes a lot of time tabling, but you get it right. Liverpool has got had done some fantastic work where they've really got it right. And we've had vert for years, but actually the challenge for us is how do we use it in a way that cracks through all of those basic skills that then I can translate when I get into clinical practice rather than trying to learn them in an environment where there's not time or space for me to learn those skills. So... I think we're really looking at how much of the curriculum appropriately and safely can SIM take. And I think from Mandy and and Nikki's work, it suggested that people's opinion was about 20%. We need to test that and really think it through. It varied clearly, but a real need for us to to understand and and then into the placement piece, we've got to build capacity and across the profession in the small professions like orthoptics and prosthetics and orthotics, we organize the placements nationally. So there's a bit for us about thinking, do we need to think more cleverly about how we might do our placement allocation regionally or whatever? So we I don't know, it seems to be really well thought through um, across the country. But then there's also uh, other placement requirements. We've got clearly um, people who want to be um, therapeutic radiographers in the future. And we think about work experience. That is the thing that helps people make the right career choice and opens people's eyes. Um, And so there's a real issue for us about clinical um, opportunity for work experience but there's also an issue for us about return to practice. Um, We were talking earlier, Joey, that is the way that we can help um, our colleagues who for whatever reason have taken time away from the register, absolutely respect and understand that. But for many, there's a a longing to come back or a a need to come back for that employment to get that that graduate um, registered level wage that you can't really mirror easily outside. So a real opportunity for us, I think, to make sure we're liberating return to practice placements too of equality and also thinking about simulation As part of return to practice because if you are a qualified and experienced radio and therapeutic radiographer simulation might just be what you need to get your confidence back and then crack on into the workforce so anybody on the on the um um, podcast who has got um friends colleagues who are um, therapeutic radiographers who are off the register this is my plug and my plea tell them that we offer a supported return to practice we have some financial support available and we will support you to get you back into um, NHS employment or wherever you want to work and onto the register so please please look at the HEU website return to practice everything you need is there and we've got Natasha who is incredible and poised to support you. And I think Jo's trying to tempt her into a future podcast, which would just be brilliant because that is the way we really live our values of offering our colleagues the opportunity to come back and give back to our patients, which is what we're all here to do.
2: I think as we said earlier, Beverly, it sounds like you're saying therapeutic radiography is the best AHP career, really.
1: Without a
0: doubt, I, I, I couldn't think of any other way of putting it. Even to be frank with you,
2: I promise I'm, I have not paid Beverly to say this, and neither very sorry. <laughs> and I also think
0: that every diagnostic radiographer or allied health professional listening is like, no, I don't think that's true.
2: <laughs> no, we can live that
1: for the moment, people, can't we? I mean, this is our this is the space where we can. And I think it was summed up for me. There's a, a, a beautiful colleague, not um, healthcare related, who um, did some amazing work with us recently who um, has recently been sharing on social media experience of being exposed to therapeutic radiographers. And the difference... She's a beautiful, unbelievably beautiful human being. But the difference you've made to her in her um, experience of treatment will change completely how, how she recovers, if that makes sense, because you loved, you nurtured and you held her in times of fear in a way that makes a difference to people's lives, in a way that we can't even imagine unless we have been that person, or that carer sitting in that environment. So I'm with you, Naaman. I think you get the prize. Best, best AHP profession for a seven, 19.59 on a Thursday evening. How about that?
2: Thank you. Obviously this is a therapeutic radiographer podcast, so we are quite biased, but across the oncology pathway, I think it's such a privilege, and I, I've said this and every time I'm with another student, It is such a privilege to hear a patient's story because again cancer is it it may be a small part of their life in that moment but they have a huge story before they come to us you know in my department we don't see paediatrics and that many teenager young adult patients but even then some of the patients in their 80s and 90s um they have such a big you know they have a huge character that you don't always get out because they're worried about having cancer they're worried about radiotherapy they're worried about their surgical scars or chemotherapy side effects Late effects, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. There are so many things to talk about. But I think as the beauty of uh, when I was on treatment is, you know, unfortunately, radiotherapy, Linux, so linear accelerators, they break down. Uh, it's a machine. But in that time, while the engineers are working really hard to fix it, um, you know, you can talk to the patient. And that doesn't have to be about cancer. I think some of the patients we've had on here to talk about, you know, their experience of living with and beyond cancer is, well, actually, if you just remember that we're human, that's even better than saving our life because you can save our life and you leave. But, you know, I'm still going to be a human once I leave. So that's the main thing. And yeah, that that's the best part of my job. It's just the patients. Even if they're talking to me for an hour about the dog, it's fine. I don't mind. If, it, if they've been lonely, especially due to COVID, actually you may be the only person they've seen in the whole week. And that blood appointment, that review appointment or... When you telling them, oh, I'm really sorry, the machine's late, can you empty your bladder? You need to go and fill it up again. That's the time where you need to get to know your patients. And it really helps, I think. There's a lot of research that I think Joe's talked about before around just patient care and just, yeah, just talking to your patients.
1: Absolutely. But again, it's a utter, utter privilege, isn't it? It's, it's just a beautiful part of the job. Uh, would you, would you um, allow me just to go back to the student placement question just for one minute? Because I forgot something that's really important. Would that be Of all right? course. Excellent. So just back to thinking differently about placements, we put quite a lot of money out on the basis of this work that Char, my student did. We put quite a lot of money out to the system to help with, with placement innovation. And I just want to flag from a therapeutic radiography perspective, one of the most beautiful examples we saw was at the Christie where um, the team, um, Libby Allison, put in place um, uh, with us the most fantastic virtual program to help people get exposure to proton beam. And when you think about being a very excitable um, student therapeutic radiographer in your lifetime, you've seen the front pages of of um, the, the case that obviously got proton beam front centre page in the um, in the newspapers and led to uh, ultimately us ending up with um, proton beam now in two centres. We need therapeutic radiographers who are skilled in proton beam in the future. We need people to have their interest peaked. Um, and the team put together the most incredible virtual opportunity in the pandemic to enable people to experience all the setup for that and then to be able to, in later stages, join the department to actually get involved. And I think that level of innovation for me really did excite me into the into thinking we can build more capacity in therapeutic radiography um, um, placements. We just have to think really cleverly outside the box. And that's where the university and the clinical service collaboration perhaps outside of the university's traditional scope of practice, but actually could start to really drive some fundamental change for us. As we see simulation then starting to almost sort of blend in to the service and we sort of get that continuum then of how we might be able to offer experience. So thank you, Damon.
2: those kind of innovations in the work experience side of things. So I know Joe, uh, your co-chair, promoting radiography, so a new special interest group which is kind of dedicated to this the diagnostic and therapeutic side yeah, it's fantastic it's really nice to be involved shannon johnson and i one of my good friends and um hopefully going to come on the podcast again soon um so we both were stem ambassadors together where we worked and that's such an i would say it's quite an easy and simple way to get involved in promoting a profession and that's for anyone you have to do two events i think it's over two years i mean it's free you get a free disbarring service um done as well all it takes especially now is virtual it could be a 20 minute session talking about your career and that could be done from anywhere and it could be sent to hundreds of schools so i know the work experience what uh, the work we did in somerset we were quite i'd say we we're quite fortunate to have that support from man- managers and then the engagement from um the learning and development team for the trust but then also all of the colleges and school who said well actually we've never considered about the nhs being more than just doctors and nurses and that was it then we were in and it was I think about maybe up to 3,000 4,000 students we were engaging but it was just amazing and it's I don't know for me it seemed very simple to just talk about my career but the impact and we always talk about impact is that thousands of students are being exposed to a different career they've probably never heard of unless unfortunately if they've either had radiotherapy or someone they know has had it but yeah that that was an amazing experience and I just yeah I really enjoy being a STEM
1: That's brilliant. And think about, again, doing things that expose you to different um, ways of thinking and different skills to learn. That's a great part of particularly early careers. We did some work. um, We haven't got to the therapeutic radio piece of it yet, looking at career motivations. Why did people choose their careers? And what was really fascinating for us in so much of this work is that... um, people hadn't heard through their career service. and It's not fascinating, we knew it was a problem, but it was horrible to see it played out in, in the statistics. They hadn't heard about our professions through any of the normal routes where you'd hear about usual professions, but it was people who had been through treatment or been, the, been with somebody who'd been through whatever the treatment might be, or who knew somebody who had been. And that then, um, does when you think about that means that every single one of us in our day job is a career ambassador for our work and you think about the survival rates now in cancer i would say go recruit all of your patients go recruit their carers who come in with them we need more of you we still have capacity to build more of you and no better person to want to be one when you've actually lived it and you had a brilliant experience at the hands of a brilliant therapeutic radiographer
0: as long beverly as people do introduce themselves as a therapeutic radiographer, you've because... just stolen my punchline. Oh, I'm so sorry, Beverly. What You're can I say? My... Great minds, great minds. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Joe's Joe's never going to let you say that point first. It's always going to have to be Joe first. <laughs> oh, she,
1: can have it. she can have it, Damon. No problem. But you've got to exactly. You've got to do that. But then going into schools and being really clear about, again, using your protected title, what and who you are and where you fit, because you'll go away and they'll think, oh yeah, this lovely, lovely doctor come and see us, ever so nice, or this lovely nurse came to see us. No, it's me. Um, and we've got some again, incredible careers resources. Joe, you put them all onto the website for us for AHP's day. We've got the WOW show, we've got amazing things. We've got, we've got stuff that's absolutely anchored in therapeutic radiography. Again, please use it. You don't have to go in and feel exposed, you're not. Go in, tell them your story, tell them why you love your job, why you get out of bed, and then share with them some of the resources. That's all you need to do. They want to see people they want to be and they want to follow. I'd quite happily be a therapeutic radio Having have spent time with you two because I could, I'd want to be one of you. It's very powerful, very, very powerful.
2: Definitely, and I you think pop Joe- up
1: everywhere, you therapeutic radio, you pop up everywhere. We've got in, our, in my advanced practice team, I've got two incredible humans, um, Katie Cooper and Heather Nisbet who are both advanced clinical practice um, leads in my teams incredible, wonderful humans, but with such a breadth and depth of of knowledge, but with such a deeply rooted compassion, that it's just you know, you you do you've got such an opportunity to go fly wherever you want to go. The issue for us is how do we keep you focused on making sure that we can get our patients in whatever way possible, the best
0: care I think as well, it is an opportunity to publicize all of the allied health professions. So you don't necessarily need to have lots of depth of knowledge of what a physiotherapist does or what an occupational therapist does. And or, or um, you know, from that perspective, I'm really passionate that yes, we sell our professions, but it's also a real opportunity to go allied health professions, so that they go away and Google it. And essentially lots of resources that are now published and out there and available to, really accessible and um, people can access, but yeah absolutely I encourage all of our students um you know promoting radiography become a stem net ambassador you're heavily supported you access all the resources and anyone who does want to get involved in promotion of their profession and um, whether it be diagnostic or therapeutic get in touch because the special interest group is doing some amazing work and um, to look at how we can continue to publicize and Beverly we need to have a conversation off podcast because Shannon who is going to come on she's just got um a co-written awards so she's working with kim meeking myself um and also zoe um grant um and we are asking those questions why have you come into the profession so we we need to we need to touch base on that
1: Will you drop me a line, Joe? Because I need somebody to to look at the work with us as a therapeutic radiographer. So you've just got the job, Joe. Well done.
0: <laughs> oh no, I can't do any more. My boss would kill me. <laughs>
1: Seven minutes, Joe. Be fine. you would be great. No problem.
2: That, that kind of highlighted the last two years. I'll, I'll follow this uh, meeting up with an email. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> She's your
1: own worst enemy, anyway. She's busy because she makes herself busy. This but is look true. At what people gain by her being so busy. We
2: wouldn't want you any other way, madam. And Joe, you'd be proud of me this morning. Um, Something you wouldn't expect, but I've I've had a tough week anyway. But walking home from the gym this morning, there's someone who got knocked off their moped. And then I was the first there. Got to do all the assessment using my lovely skills. Amazing. Really nice. Talked to the, the person on the floor. And when the paramedic came, said, so what, what are you? What, what type of, per- are you a doctor? No, 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 no. Let me tell you who I am. Joe McNamara has told me in any situation of my life, I have to tell you what my really long title is so you remember what it is. And, she- and when I told her, she said, what's that? Is that x-ray beams or microwaves? And I was like, oh, here we go. Let me tell you what this is.
0: <laughs> is this while the patient was bleeding out on the floor? <laughs>
2: no the patient was okay we'd, we'd stabilized him he was fine um and he yes yeah, he i did ask him if i could talk about this so don't worry <laughs> we, were there for, we were there for over an hour and a half but he did google it while he was there just like oh yeah no that no, looks really good cool thanks no, no, i'm orange. in a lot of pain now <laughs> you can so i've got no his orange. consent don't worry <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine
1: the application to university, can't you? I decided I want to be a therapeutic radio for whilst laying on the floor, having been knocked off my bike. This guy talked at me for two hours. Look, I'll do it. I'll become. That's fine.
2: <laughs> His pain was also gone by then, Beverly, because he was just bored of me. So anesthetized, <laughs> <didn't you? laughs> exactly. There you go. That that could be something else we could diversify into. <laughs>
0: Scope of practice. Scope of practice. Maybe not. Right then, Beverly. So we are coming towards the end of the podcast. So the question that we ask all of our guests are, do you have any top tips of which I know that you've actually mentioned loads throughout the podcast already? But if there's anything that you you want kind of the audience to leave really thinking about, what is it that you would say?
1: Um, The first thing for me is you have to believe in your tummy that you are absolutely good enough to do what you do, and you could do even more and even better. This imposter syndrome is such a um, preventer of people making the most of what they have got to offer. And so if you are somebody, and let's face it, we all do, just some of us confess to it and some of us don't, who in your tummy sometimes think, do you know I'm not good enough for this, or I won't say anything, because those people obviously know so much more than I do. We've got to find ways, and and if you do feel like that, talk to people about it. Get yourself some coaching and find a way of making friends with it. My imposter syndrome sits on my shoulder and we talk. We have great conversations about the fact that, no, you can't. Yes, you can. The key for me is it's going to hold you back unnecessarily and you can manage it and you can deal with it. So the key for me is grab your imposter syndrome, wrestle it to the floor, take control of it. And don't think you're going to get rid of it. You won't. It will always pop up every now and again. But make it your friend so that you then can use your full capability to be the best you at work for your patients and for your populations. Uh, The next thing is to stay curious and to embrace that squiggly career. Things will happen that are good. Things will happen that you expect that you don't expect. Don't worry about it. Embrace it and go seek every single opportunity you can Um, to enable you to to stay interested to grow to be again the best you at what you do hugely hugely important that you keep yourself interested in what you do and I think the other issue for me is if you if you are um, taking time out or you're doing um, different things in your career don't lose sight of your clinical career because the magic of what we have with our registration and with our clinical backgrounds is at any point we can go back At any point we can have, we've got that fantastic safety net of that role. And I'm thinking what my retirement plan is. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'd really quite like to go and see a patient or two. The people who work with you are probably really scared at the moment. But, you know, actually, it means that I can think of a whole variety of different things that I might want to be able to do. And the NHS is going to need you. The private sector is going to need you. Your patients need you. We have got a really limited group of therapeutic radiographers because we have been challenged to recruit in the past. That means that we are we are in the middle of a lack of therapeutic radiographers and we'll be continuing for several years into the future with a lack of clinical radiographers. We need every single one of you. So if things are in a state for you where you're thinking, I don't have enough, I don't really want to do this anymore, please talk to people. Please find ways of staying engaged and involved. If you are a manager of service, please wrap around your staff to make sure that, Together you work to retain and, and love and nurture your workforce, be they beginning, middle or end of their careers. So really do think creatively about how we make the most of every single human we have, because, as I say, our patients need us, and there's going to be more patients who need more who are increasingly complex. So career opportunities like NA is, is um, progressing at the moment, really do also become a really important part of your curiosity and of your development. So embrace it, embrace your profession, embrace your career, embrace your protected title, Joe, and really go and just go, go and sort of shake your profession and see what you can get out of it and enjoy it and help other people enjoy it and love them into being able to, again, give their best to our patients.
0: Oh thank you Beverly that was amazing and it's just inspiring. I love listening to you talk. Every time I've ever seen you present I just get all giddy and excited and you do you have you have some magnetism that other people just don't necessarily have because i think you can sense that you're passionate about what you do and the roles that you have so thank you Um, and i really hope that the audience listening take that away with them and if they haven't got that feeling that they are loving their job you've given them loads of advice um, on how to maybe go about thinking differently about it so we've come to the end thank you for listening to radchat your hosts today have been myself joe mcnamara and Naaman jolka anderson a huge thank you again to our guest, Bev Harden. Head over to the YouTube page to see the live recording of this podcast, should you wish to see our faces. And if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to the resources and literature that we've discussed. And to receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked. So our next guest to feature will be Shannon Johnson, who's going to be discussing her career today and the College of Radiographers Industry Partnership Scheme Co-RIT's research grant that she's won and that I have the pleasure of working with her on. So thank you for listening and do take care. Bye bye.
2: Thank you.